good news, everyone. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I see dead people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Kind of a DeLorean? And knowing is half the battle. What the deuce? Must have the precious. And I'll form the head. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away. What you talking about, Willis? Wow, infotainment. Hello, this is Daryl from Transmissions, and I'm here at Toronto Comic-Con 2019, and I was able to sit down with legendary comic book writer Denny O'Neill, who wrote some of the great uh, stories back in the pages of Green Lantern, Batman, Superman, the list goes on and on. But I was able to sit down with him for a one-on-one interview. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so my name's Daryl. I'm from the Transmissions Podcast. We, uh, we do a podcast about Transformers. And, uh, and you have a very brief but very effective or uh, very poignant uh, effect in the Transformers fandom. Um, and uh, I wondered if you could speak on it. What do you recall about your, your, your very small amount of time on that, on that franchise? Well, that... It has a lot to do with the office politics of Marvel at that time. Okay. And uh, Jim Shooter's policy was don't give any work to freelancers that we can give to editors. Sure, okay. Exactly the opposite of DC. DC, we were not supposed to give creative work to editors. and um, use the creative community. So, as a joke, I typed about 500 times on a piece of paper, squeeze, 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 and gave that to Shooter. And he, the next thing he had up was working on the Transformers. So I did my version of the Transformers, which he really disliked. So he gave the assignment to another editor, and I got some kind of kill fee. And uh, didn't think about it until I, I, I read in the fan press that I created Optimus Prime. I, I might have, I mean, I, I don't have any memory, but I yeah. don't remember a lot of stuff. That's the story that, that goes around, is that... Uh the name that stuck from your time on it was Optimus Prime. I wouldn't say that's wrong. Uh, (laughs) It never was very important to us. And that was the right attitude. Because if if you think, I'm a wonderful writer and I'm going to write this wonderful story, psychologically it becomes about you. Mm -hmm. It should always be about the story. Yeah. I had... uh, arguments for years about whether to put an editor credit on because I thought as an editor I should be invisible. I should right. be the a part of the process nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people disagreed with that and they made good cases. And in any case, I mean that's the way we were doing it at mm-hmm. DC. Yeah. I guess it was good to 
very belatedly begin to give the people who created all of this stuff some credit. They didn't make any money mm -hmm. while they were alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe and Jerry, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster won a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And more directly important to us, Mary Fran and I went to see Batman versus Superman and walked out of there thinking that has that movie I thought it was gonna be bad, I didn't think it would be that bad. I mean they they, they don't they didn't know what they were doing. But it did say Batman created by Bill Finger or Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bill Finger, yes. And so when we got home, Mary called Bill's granddaughter, whom I know a little bit from doing panels. Sure, yes, yeah. And she said any time that Mary said, any time Denny tried to give Bill any kind of credit, he got shot down. Uh, was this a one-time only thing just for this movie? And Althea said, no, we finally won a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. My grandfather's name will be on anything that says Batman from now on. Yes. So Bill's been gone 20 years or more, but at least Althea and her children will have a comfortable mm -hmm. life from now on. Yeah, that's huge. And and not to discredit the, the Siegel and Schuster one, that one that one broke the mold. The uh, the fact that they were in such dire straits at the time was was Terrible, absolutely terrible. Well, Ger Neil Adams and uh, and uh, Jerry Robinson uh, went to the executives and said, "You you people just spent like a hundred million dollars on a movie, and the guy who created wrote did the writing part of it." Uh, is working in the mailroom and the artist is legally blind. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a great story for the papers? Mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty common for Jerry to do things like that. Uh, so, I mean, it worked. I have heard different figures. I heard that they got a $20,000 pension, a $50,000 pension. I heard that they got health benefits that I'm inclined to believe. Sure, yes. Uh, and they they died comfortably. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the character has made billions with a B. As yeah. has Batman. And you think the mm -hmm. these other guys got really seriously rich, they could have spared a few dollars. Mm -hmm. But uh, I always got wrong with all of them except uh, Bob. I inadvertently and accidentally left his credit off of Batman's story and he called the company. He got somebody who had nothing to do with Batman. She was just an assistant who happened to be near the phone. But he gave her help for, for my dissing him. Mm. And I didn't intentionally diss him but I wish I had. Mm -hmm. Now, um, during your time at DC, um, a, f a fellow by the name of Jack Kirby was hired on. And can you talk about the feeling around the office when uh, news broke that he was joining the team? 
uh, and coming over to work in the offices? Well, everybody was happy about it. I think that too is has to do with politics. And Jack was, you know, the star of the field back then. Ron White, who is now gone, but uh, was for a time with Stan's assistance, uh, said that Kirby was a genius at drawing for bad repro. And I think that's a very perceptive mm. comment. His yeah. stuff worked fine with the lousy presses yeah. that they were using. Right. And without that, well, I mean, he was never bad, but he was not extraordinary except when he was fighting big machines out Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the business of him not getting his artwork back was fans convincing him he was getting gypped because he knew what the rules were. We all knew. I signed hundreds of those things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily like it, but at the time it seemed to be necessary. What was the deal? So I think uh, Jack became convinced that he was being cheated. Well, he was, but so was everybody else. Mm -hmm. That was the game, the way the game was played. Later yeah. they found that that's called an attachment. If, if something is rubber stamped on the back of the check, mm -hmm. and it's illegal, but nobody knew that. Nobody cared enough to investigate it. Yeah, yeah. It was comic books. You know. Yeah. Now, uh, you and you mentioned Neil Adams turned out to be a pretty formidable dynamic duo uh, yourselves. Uh, was there a point where everything just clicked for you guys and, and the powers that be at DC realized this and continued to put the two of you together? Or was it the other way around and the two of you realized it first and requested to be together? No, I did ha had very little to do with Neil. Uh, we were together because Julius Schwartz uh, made that happen. Mm -hmm. he, he saw that we were producing kind of interesting work and so he did that. I don't think Julie ever asked permission. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that the guys in the big carpeted offices knew anything about Green Lantern and Green Arrow mm -hmm. until they, they started reading about it and hearing about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, one of the, the rules at that time was no continued stories. Well, uh, Julie did continued stories once a year. Justice League meets Justice Society. So I asked him, how did you get away with that? He said, I didn't ask. And they never said anything. Mm -hmm. It's easier to apologize and ask permission. Yeah, I mean, and generally that, that saying makes me bristle because people use it in a, as an excuse yes. for not being responsible. <laughs> it's true. But that aside, yeah. Uh, the biggest problem comic book editors have always had is people don't meet deadlines, they don't do what they have promised to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems to be, in the freelance community, that's the way it's supposed to be. Those same people, when they work on television, hit the deadlines. Mm -hmm. It's something about comics, well, you know, 
You don't have to worry about that. And yes, you do. People are, are waiting for their children's uh, school book money. Yeah. You have a whole list of people who are waiting for you to do your job, and you have no damn excuse for deliberately ignoring it. If you come down with a pneumonia or your grandma dies or something like that, sure, everybody understands yeah. that. But one guy told me, I can't even begin to think about a story until it's at least th three weeks past deadline. And I thought, well, then you're a fucking amateur. And he wasn't. He was pretty respected. But wow. I thought that's an appalling <laughs> thing to say. Mm -hmm. Because it's about you. You have to wait on me because I'm important. Mm -hmm. No. Um, the comic book culture today has had an incredible resurgence, uh, most likely attributed to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC Extended Universe. Uh, many of your stories have been adapted into feature films and other various medias. So my question is two-part one. Uh, what are your thoughts on the current state of the superhero movies? Uh, I think they finally found out how to do it. I think the f first bunch of superhero movies they written really didn't have a feel for this particular kind of fantasy melodrama. Okay, I've seen the, the Black Panther movie, I've seen the Wonder Woman movie, I've seen the last three Batman movies. Good movies, just judged as cinema. Mm -hmm. Uh, that happened to be about guys who grew up reading comics. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents' generation and even mine, we were you know, taught that comics were bad. Mm. At, at best, literature of the illiterate, and at worst, pernicious right. destroyers of youth. Well, I mean, <laughs> the, guys who, the guy who directed the last three Batman movies... Yeah. Christopher Nolan. It wasn't, yeah, Chris was not carrying that into the project. He simply thought it, it, it's it's another medium, I'm gonna, mm -hmm. and I'm going to make a movie of it. Mm -hmm. He sat behind Mary Fran and me at the big New York screening of the last movie. And I was sitting with a British freelance writer, and I am so glad that I decided not to be a smart mom because I. When we got out on the street, Mary said, do you know who was sitting behind you? And Christopher Nolan. And holy cow. <laughs> now, the second part of the question is, uh, given the opportunity to cast, whom would you see don the, the, the cape and cowl? Uh, Christian Bale was the best so far. Yeah. Uh, I know the reason for casting a comedian at the first one because I've been for 60 years friends with Mike Uslan mm -hmm. and I see him once in a while uh, and so he has given me the director's excuse which was interesting Yeah, it's that that particular actor looks a little crazy. You're talking about oh. Adam West? Mm -hmm. You're talking about Adam West? No, no, no. Oh. Uh, the, the 1989 Oh, movie. Michael Keaton. Keaton, Okay, yeah. yes. He looks like he might get on a rooftop and fight sure. a bad guy. <laughs> he does not look like a model of mental health. 
And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that decision, but I certainly think it's valid. Right. Now, when you were writing the character, did you have anybody in mind, like an actor of the day or anybody like that, that you kind of emulated as, as their speaking voice? Well, after the, the ABC TV show, we thought, well, this stuff will never be on screens again. Yeah. So, no, I, I didn't know about it. I didn't worry about it. I ran into Stanley the morning after the first TV show, and I, I asked him how he liked it. He said, I thought it was terrible, except for the, the animation in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it was was not a favorite of the comic book communities because it was ridiculing what they did for sure. a living. Yeah. And not ridiculing it with any great amount of wit or cleverness. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I had had to bet back then, I would bet that Superman was going to end up being the superstar. Yeah. Because of the patriotic angle. Sure. And Batman's a glum character. I mean, he can't let go of having his seen his parents murdered. Uh, guy needs a good therapist. Yeah. No, I, I really believe that in, in my version of uh, these characters, the Joker, well, I, I think that uh, Harley Quinn is a great character but I would not have okayed her because the Joker, girlfriend is too normal. Any kind of romance is too normal for him. Mm -hmm. And with uh, Batman, it's it's kind of the same thing. He could not maintain a relationship and disappear at 11 o'clock every night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in my world... uh, he does not have girlfriends. He especially does not have Silver St. Cloud because if he was going to have a girlfriend, it would be somebody like Talia who is real smart. Right. On, the same, a, on the same level as him. Yeah. Yeah. They are the only two people in the world who could marry each other, and they can't because she has a daddy hang-up yeah. and he has a criminal hang-up. Yes. So... In my personal biography of Bruce Wayne, when he gets to be in his early 40s, he will find out where on the planet Talia is, and he will marry her, and they will have the smartest and most beautiful children, <laughs> and he will use his brains and fortune to help humanity in other ways. That's perfect. The story I just wrote had... Leslie bawling him out saying, you're a hypocrite and a liar. You like violence or you wouldn't do so much of it. You, you, you're trying to convince us and yourself that it's something you have to... You don't have to do that. You do it because you want to and Bruce Wayne did not have an answer to that because yeah. it's obviously true. Yes. And now I am allowed to give... well, acknowledge heroes as having those kind of flaws. When I wrote the original story 40 years ago, I had to soften Wesley a lot. Mm -hmm. And my last question is uh, Nightfall was a huge uh, event while you were editing Batman. Um, But you actually wrote the novelization for Nightfall. 
Now, what were the challenges on writing the novel as opposed to the comic? Well, that was, that was an interesting mountain to have climbed. I'm glad I did it. I will never do it again. Uh, what happened was, they, well, they had done a Superman hardcover, which was an unexpected bestseller. So they came and they said, they're going to do a Batman and who's going to write it? And we didn't know. And I said, well, it can't be me because I am editing the comic books. Mm -hmm. I have duties with the corporation that don't have anything to do with Batman. Mm -hmm. And Mary Friend said, if you let somebody else do it, you'll never forgive yourself. Yeah. Smart wives. <laughs> Damn them. So... Uh, <laughs> I went and said, I can do 75,000 words in the deadline you've given me. And the Time Warner executive, who was Dennis Cowan's girlfriend at the time, said, no, we need 100,000 words. So I said, okay. Uh, and then life got very interesting. We, I bought my first computer, a laptop, because I knew I had also a lot of traveling. Sure. It was the end of the year, and we always had to go to California and often somewhere else. So, uh, I had this little baby computer that I could ride on when I was on planes and such. And uh, then came Christmas time, and Mary and I decided. Well, I'll take the computer with me, but we will go visit our family in St. Louis the way we had been doing for years, showing their, the grandparents' little grandchild there. And uh, I made sure to get plenty of sleep because Mary couldn't drive in darkness. And we got... Stopped for lunch the next day, and I said, really, Mary, I am I'm way too tired. I don't know why I got enough sleep, but I can't keep my eyes open. I can't drive, and she's, I can't either. No, you're going to have to. And the deal we made was, well, okay, I'll drive for an hour, and then she'll take it over. About 30 minutes into that hour, I dropped off, and when I opened my eyes, we were headed for a wall. At about 70 miles an hour. And we hit the wall, and the car flipped over three times. And we got, we spent Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in an emergency ward. But we had a bunch of Christmas presents in the back seat. And the guy who was behind us on the freeway, the witness to this, said, Give me addresses and I'll deliver your Christmas presents for you. And I thought, Sure, you will. But okay, I know I'm going to be spending Christmas mm -hmm. in this bed. Sure. So he did. He just wow. drove around St. Louis dropping off Christmas presents. Wow. Real Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah. Real I don't know his name. I gave him credit when the book finally came out. But I don't know who he was, and the people at the hospital didn't seem to know. Wow. But we got it done, and... Uh, I wrote the last sentence about an hour before the book had to be on the press. Charlie Kochman, who was the editor of that book and the best book editor I've ever had, 
called me at my office and said, we need this line. And I said, I don't agree with you. There was a reason why I didn't write it, but you're the boss. Okay, here it is. Take this down. <laughs> and uh, I've been joking a lot about Jessica Alba. Charlie and I both have a mutual admiration society for Jessica. I've got a, a little doll, a, a doll of that character she played that yeah. is on my bookshelf at home. And we, we still joke about the world and see each other. Best editor I've ever worked for. Now, the most successful editor, uh, hardcover editor in New York City. His books have sold 40 million wow. copies. Wow. The, it's the Whippy Kids here. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, uh, Charlie <coughs> has stayed in touch with us and stayed in touch with the editor of Mad, who was a, a friend of everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's another thing that made this such a good job. Yeah. Having a little adventure is like crashing into a retaining wall at 70 miles an hour. When we got back and got interviewed by the doctors at the hospital, I said, go to whatever's left of the car and get my computer out of the back seat. It was not strapped down. It's probably a heap of random metal, but get that. So the doctor said, okay, and he went and got it. I owe the Apple company money because it was perfectly intact. Wow. It had been bounced around a car, and yeah. I didn't lose a day's work. That's fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. This was a very good, this was a pleasure, honorably. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Transmissions. But just because this episode is over doesn't mean the Transformers fun has to stop. Join us and other Transformers fans on our Discord chat server by visiting transmissionspodcast.com slash discord. If you would like to learn more about how you could support the Transmissions podcast, just visit transmissionspodcast.com slash support. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you again next week.